Friday, I upload another mostly true story from my bank of personal stories. All are as true as I can recall them. However, tonight I must warn you, this is a crazy, unbelievable story. And I'm not absolutely sure it really happened. I mean, I... I experienced it, but maybe not the way you think. I'm still puzzled by the event and the people, but not the message. Most of you are traditional people that believe in ordinary things. Me, not so much. That makes me strange and you're just going to have to be okay with it. Just as my friends are. I suppose I should stop him hawing around about it and just let it fly. If you have an answer to what might have really happened to me in this story, please leave me a message. I'd like to discover what you think might have happened. So here we go. It was 1984, a year before I met my wife, Kathy. I had sold my small business, the first one, uh, not the latter one that we went bankrupt and were forced to flee to the mountains of Montana as I shared in episode three. Anyway, I got wind of a job in Dallas, Texas. I do not, for the life of me, recall how I heard of this job. They were hiring a manager to operate the world's largest rental store. The one I had built from scratch was in Tucson, Arizona, and much smaller, of course. Anyway. I talked to a guy on a phone and they agreed to fly me out to Dallas, Texas for two days so I could evaluate the opportunity. I was in my prime and too dumb to realize much beyond what was happening to me in, in the moment, day by day. I had no long-term plans. Hell, <laughs> to this day, I still don't. I just live one day after another, as I always have. And some, I decide to go fishing. Another, to start an alternative investment company. Heck, I, I might sell everything next month and hitchhike to Alaska. My wife, she's tuckered out all right. 
but she's always been beside me. Anyway, as I was saying, I flew out and ended up waiting in the concourse for hours at the airport. And I'm not a patient kind of guy, so I'm pretty irritated. And this thin guy about my age runs up with a sign that has my name on it and tells me he's my ride. I followed him out and got in a stretch effing limo. I kid you not. And he drives me across the city. And it took some time. And we talked the entire way. And I remember seeing Cowboy Stadium. And we ended up at what seemed to be the backside of a, a huge mall. You know, where they unload trucks and have concrete docks and large metal doors. We get out and walk up some concrete stairs outside through a heavy steel door. The paint is faded on the, on the building and the door. We get out and, and go inside, but there's no, no, there's no sign uh, for the business. There's no sign for any business on the backside. Anyway, we go in and he introduces me to the main guy, the manager. His name was Alan Flowers. Then I met his assistant. His name was David Green. He was trying to motivate about 15 or so young guys to go out and collect overdue rents in the rough part of Dallas and Fort Worth. <laughs> that takes some motivation. And I remember he took a $100 bill and tacked it on the wall. saying something like whoever collects the most today gets this they had a large map of the two cities fort worth and dallas both touched each other and i remember looking at it and counting the miles on the map that it was wide and tall and it was bigger than some states. It was rather overwhelming. I walked around and even went to the to the hood with a, one of the guys to collect money. Very interesting. I thought the Mexicans in South Tucson that I'd rented to were tough until Dallas. Around uh, 7 that evening, Alan Flowers told me to come with him, and so I did. He drove us to a sports bar that seemed like in downtown Dallas, but gee whiz, it's so big, 
I don't, <laughs> I think you go anywhere in your downtown in Dallas. And I, I think he drove a Mercedes or some luxury car. It was extremely nice. And this bar, this sports bar, he told me, um, often had Dallas Cowboys frequent it. I hated the Cowboys and still do today, but I kept an eye out for any of them. None of them showed up. We waited for, I think, 90 minutes. It's a long time to get seated. And all the time standing at this bar, drinking a beer or two. And he shared that he had just finished coaching a ninth grade football team and they won the city championship in Dallas. And I was speechless because of all the co coincidences, I had just coached a ninth grade team and won the city championship in Tucson. In 1984 it was my second year of coaching football I still have the videos of every game and even our banquet they're dear to my heart but I didn't say a word about my accomplishment because I was thinking he might think I was trying to one-up him although Dallas is a bigger city, so he probably had the better team. We talked business and customers and, and children and wives. I was in a bad marriage at the time, so I kept most of that to myself. We did exchange glances at each other's children's photo from our billfolds. Eventually, we were taken to a small table for two people against a wall. And about 10 feet from the bathrooms, it was all right. I was starving, but not the optimum location at a restaurant. I don't like crowded places. I hate being around lots of people. And... When we're talking at the bar, we literally had to yell to communicate and then read lips to understand. At the table, it was just as noisy. We made our orders and I think we ordered burgers and fries and a soda and she left. And this is where it gets very strange. Alan looked at me and clearly wanted to ask me or tell me something. And all of a sudden, everything got dark and quiet except his face. It was very odd. For the next maybe three hours. He shared every answer to every question 
I secretly had about life, reality, Christ, God, all of it. One after another, he just gave me answers. I never uttered a single word or opinion or I never had a question. And he never stopped. I don't recall eating. I don't recall seeing the food afterwards. But when he was done, I remember that he excused himself and walked over to the payphone next to the restrooms just five steps away. And my head was spinning from everything he had said. A few minutes later, he returned and he had water, watery eyes. He had gotten emotional. I asked if everything was okay at home. And he just smiled and said, this story that decades ago he was seeking the truth and an angel appeared to him in his bedroom and told him everything everything that he had just told me He said that he was told to share it. And so for 20 years, he had done just that. And until this very night, he said, every person that he ever told rejected it. And often rejected him. Ruining all his relationships. I just uh, just sat there taking it in. He said that he had just called his wife to tell her that he was wrong. That he had assumed that he would lead thousands of people to this profound truth. But all these years later, he just realized... I was the only one to hear it. And then he asked me, or rather he told me, you believe it? And I said, yes, all of it. I know it's true. Every question I ever had, he answered all of them. And then he briefly wept and we left. Uh, he took me to a, a nice hotel. They were individual apartments on the ground floor and uh, mine was on the back side. I have no name 
of the hotel or motel. I never saw that. Um, I just went in and and I didn't sleep a wink. I just sat there on the bed thinking of all that he had told me. He had dropped me off probably at 1 or 1.30 in the morning. I ended up showering and wait, waited for him to pick me up at 7 a.m. And he did. And I couldn't wait because as soon as he pulled up, I opened up the door and said, I had one question. I said, why are we different? And he simply said, many are chosen, but few seek long enough to find the treasure. That was it. We drove back to the backside of this gargantuan mall and went inside and I just wandered around mesmerized all day. The day passed quick and I think it was, you know, early afternoon that I was to share my answer on the job opportunity. And I went to his office to tell him, no, thank you. But before he had heard me, before he, before I could even say anything, he just smiled and approached me, shook my hand and said, I know, I know. You didn't come for the job. You came for the truth. And then he, he hugged me like we were brothers. And the thin guy took me back to the airport. I got home and a, a week later I was still reeling from the experience and all the information. And I wondered if I had made a mistake and should have accepted the job after all. So I called information. We, 1984, you didn't have the internet. And so I called... Uh, 411 and I I asked for Dallas and I asked for Crown Rental listing and nothing there was no such listing so I waited a couple days and I remember calling again assuming that if I got a, a good intelligent operator um, she would tell me, but again, there was no listing. And so I said, well, maybe it's not Dallas. Maybe it's Fort Worth. Nothing. I said, well, well, what if it's just one of the suburbs that makes up Dallas? And she said, sir, there's no such listing for crown rental. So five years later, I was teaching a business seminar to over 40 managers and assistant managers in a particular city. 
And yes, it was Dallas, Texas. During a break, I approached the group of them, about half of them, 20 or so. And I asked how long they had been in the rental industry and lived in Dallas. And most had been in Dallas their entire life and worked in the business for many years, some over a decade. I asked if they were familiar with Crown. Nobody. I followed up with, you know, the largest rental store in the world. None had ever heard of it. So after my seminar, I went straight to my room and I pulled out a five or six inch thick yellow page book. And it was a couple years old. I remember seeing it, uh, the year. And so it probably dated to 87, 88 maybe. And I opened it up to the rental section and there must have been 50 or 60 stores in that type of business listed. And most of them had half page or full page ads, but there was nothing for Crown. Jump ahead another dozen years after I played Mountain Man in Montana for a decade and I returned to civilization and there's this thing called the internet. It was 1999 and what did I do? The first search I made a dozen years after the seminar and it may be 17, 18 years after the event, I searched for Alan Flowers relentlessly for hours. Then I tried David Green. Nothing. It's now 2018 when I'm sharing this story with you. And I have searched the internet a hundred times for all of it, for crown, for Alan Flowers for all, all of it. And I have never found anything. On Facebook, over the years, I periodically searched for him. For, for somebody in his age range. I, all over the country. I'm not limiting it to Texas or to, to Dallas. I'm... I'm going all over the country and I contact these, there's, there's over a hundred men named Alan Flowers and I look for his general age. He was 20 years older than I, I was back then. Anyway, I'm a, I'm a real visual person. I remember everything visually. So when I tell a story, I see it visually. Um, I also paint portraits of faces. So 
faces are important to me. But I can't remember their faces. And I'm not just talking all these years later, 35 years later. I'm talking, I couldn't remember their faces once I got back to Tucson in 1984, right after it happened. Not a single face. I can't forget what happened and I can't ever forget their names. Just no faces. Then there was also this. Just little things. But I think they had meaning. The guy that picked me up in the limo at the airport and then returned me to the airport. He told me that he had a side business and it was the dry cleaning business. He had several outlets, storefronts, and people would drop off their clothes and he would have a larger company actually come by a couple times a day and pick up the clothes from his outlets and then return them uh, to him the next day or maybe six hours later. And he said, and I recall this for some reason, he said he specialized in whites. And his name was Paul. And then the name of the company was Crown Rental. Crown Rental. The logo was a golden crown. And of course, Alan Flowers and David Green, rather unusual, simple names. 20 years after it had happened, I inserted all that information into an Aramaic uh, translation uh, on the computer. Uh, Aramaic is the language Jesus spoke, by the way, Jesus wasn't his actual name, but anyway, they all have numeric value. It's what all religious Jews do to get a deeper understanding into the ancient texts. Anyway, when you convert the English into numbers and then back to Aramaic, it says something back to me as though God or something is explaining the entire experience, everything, all of it to me 35 years later. Only my wife knows what it says. My daughters know the story. And I wish I could tell you. I will share what I think might have happened. What if I went to a parallel world? Maybe I left for a split second here and walked into another reality. Had all this 
experience and then returned here. But here they don't exist. I have found other people claiming to have walked in and out of other realities. I've I've seen them on YouTube and they're very strange and I'm I know not all of them are true but what if some are I'm not sure what happened or how it happened but I still have the answers to all my questions although Many years later, I had more questions and another even wackier experience happened to me, but that's for another time. Please leave me a message, like the podcast if you did, and share it with your friends. Talk again next week.